0: what up guys what's going on welcome to episode number 14 of the spun today podcast i'm your host tony ortiz thank you very much for listening what's up with the sound here sounds a little listening on my headphones and it sounds a little weird like a little wiry like a weird humming sound probably like cheap wires or some shit that I gotta figure out... Alright, that sounds a little better. Alright guys, uh, welcome to the episode, episode number 14 of the Spawn Today podcast. As promised, finally, um, better late than ever, this is the audiobook version of sh- my uh, latest short story, which is Ball and Chain. I recently tweeted out the link to it the short story and uh you guys can find that on my twitter feed at spun today or i uh, just go directly to my website uh spuntoday.com forward slash short short stories uh where all the short stories are and uh forward slash ball and chain for this one in particular and it's uh my latest one again you know it's uh nothing great obviously but uh it'll get there eventually gotta go gotta go through the motions or not go through the motions but put in the work and you know get through the shitty stuff right to get to the good so endure with me with the shitty stuff follow me on this journey to what should eventually uh be some uh decent writing or at least a writing that i could be proud of not that I'm not proud of these, or uh, this story in particular, because I am, because I got it done, uh, in that sense, but um, I have no delusions of grandeur, I know it's nothing nothing uh, too amazing, but you know, you guys uh, check it out, listen to it, or read it, or both, and uh, let me know what you guys think, give me some feedback, give me some constructive criticism, save the douchey comments for yourselves, and uh, we'll keep this thing going, keep this uh, moving. Now, just to give you guys, I give you guys a, a bit of a background on where this particular story came from uh, in the previous podcast, and uh, I'll get a, a go a little more into it now. This was this came out from an exercise. <coughs> Excuse me. This story was born, I guess, from an exercise in Stephen King's book uh, or memoir. Uh, on writing. Uh it's it's an awesome read for anybody anybody who's interested in in writing obviously. Um but you could you can pull you know jewels of wisdom um from his passion for his craft and apply it to different aspects of your life if you know writing is not your thing. But it's it's kind of uh like a textbook uh it I've seen it described as and also at the same time it's a memoir of his life a textbook on the craft and and the process of writing and how to you know not how to do it but the way he does it um and has done it successfully and uh also uh uh life's uh, memoir on his journey throughout the his journey on writing uh, or throughout the process of, of being the writer that, that he is today. So anyway, he in the book puts forth an exercise for everyone to do, uh, for the readers to do, uh, which is taking a typical, a typical story, uh, that we've seen, you know, dozens and dozens of times and, in, in different movies and shows and, or have read in different books of a, I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, because I read the book a few months ago, so I don't remember it exactly, but pretty much it is about a couple in a shitty, dysfunctional relationship. The uh, husband in the relationship, or boyfriend, I think it was husband actually, is abusive, and... Uh, in the beginning you know everything was all peaches and cream and everything was cool and they got along well they had a kid and once they had a kid you know uh, things started going awry and and he started being abusive towards her and to and towards the kid I think and uh, pretty much she to get, get away from him you know decided to file file for divorce and Uh, Then eventually a restraining order, and he winds up uh, one day violating the restraining order, which gets him arrested. So he gets arrested, he gets put away, and, you know, so she's uh, a single mother now, uh, raising uh, the child on her own. And one day she drops the, the kid off to a friend's house for a little kid's birthday party or something like that. And she goes home and, you know, it's the first uh, few hours that she has uh, to herself, that she has some time off for herself. Uh, Pops open a bottle of wine. Takes a sip and uh, turns on the TV. And she's watching TV and she sees that there was a prison break. And uh, two of the uh, suspects were... Uh, or there's a, a prison break of, of three of the prisoners and a guard was killed in the process and two of the prisoners were were apprehended after the fact but one was still at large then she she's sitting there um, amazed and you know taken aback by the whole thing and she then this like feeling uh, comes over her where for some reason she like knows like in her gut that the guy that's at large is her ex-husband and then lo and behold she hears like footsteps coming down the stairs or something like that and it is him and you know he's there in the house and um yeah that's pretty much it that's like like the premise of the story which is which is a common enough you know it's not something like wow that's such an amazing I've never heard that before. So it's a, a a pretty a pretty common thing. So the the exercise that Stephen King uh put forth was to switch the gender roles in the story and create your own story. Uh he said, you know, make it uh the woman that is the one that is um uh you know b- abusive or you know, beating the guy's ass or whatever and uh and that type of thing or you know she's like a psychotic chick that winds up maybe not necessarily in prison but in an insane asylum or something and you know just to play with it pretty much as an exercise which is uh, the point of it and write out the story and see where it takes you see where the characters go No, something that I like that I I have found that I really enjoy while I write is the is figuring out like who the characters are and where the story goes and it's not things that are necessarily all predetermined. You know, you might have some like bullet point ideas in your head and then as you write the story you know, shit just starts happening, it's like, cool, it's like you're, you're like, uncovering it, and he touches on it by describing it, uh, Stephen King does, in the book, uh, by describing it as you being a, uh, what is it, Uh archaeologist, I think he said, or paleontologist, I, I don't remember, like, which one, whichever one, like, fucks with, like, bones and fossils and stuff like that, and he he said it's like, the story's already there what you're doing as a writer is being very, very uh, uh, careful and, and diligent in using your your little uh, paintbrush thing to take the dust off and uncover the fossil. And the more time you take with it and the more um, uh, patience you have with it and dedication you have towards it, you know, towards your story and stuff like that, the more uh, polished, your fossil becomes, and the more you uncover of it, and I found that, like, really interesting, and with, uh, this exercise in particular, like I mentioned in, uh, previous episode, or last episode, I think it was, the, you know, the, I set out to write this as a short story, which it technically is, um, but it's the, it turned out to be, like, the longest short story by, like, almost double, uh, that I have ever written, uh, prior to this one, um, uh, my longest short story was, like, five, maybe six pages, if I'm not mistaken, long, and by pages, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, you know, speaking, uh, like, a Microsoft Word, you know, single-spaced, fucking 12-inch font, uh, times enrollment, or, or whatever, you know, like, the basic, like, like, school, Type guidelines or whatever like when you're writing an essay and um this one so like five or six pages was like the longest i've ever written and this one wound up being uh, i think 12 pages 12 maybe 13 no 12 pages so and you know i didn't obviously intend on on that um but it's just something that was happening as i was writing the story the characters were developing and and like coming out and I was like getting to know their personalities better and their their you know what they would say and what they would do and uh getting to know them as as characters better and that was that that part of the process is is really fun for me so yeah um and that's where that's where the story came from so in this one i uh i yeah did make her uh the main character Sarah being a, uh, it starts off with her, uh, being arrested and she's in prison. You're not sure for what yet. Then she has uh, a couple of flashbacks and she, you know, that, um, um, pretty much like, uh, she has like flashbacks to her, uh, sentencing. So she's like in the courtroom and, uh, the judge is saying, you know what she's getting convicted for and shit like that. So that's where you find out. And then she winds up sleeping with a guard and and manipulating him to like get out of prison. And then um, um winds up. Uh, I'm not gonna give away the ending or or anything like that. But uh um take a listen and let me know what you guys think. Again with this one, I. Uh, added some sound effects, and as you guys know, I don't edit the, um, like, the free writing session podcasts or any of the regular podcasts, um, or the intros and outros, or anything like that, but this portion, like the, uh, actual, um, whatchamacallit, the audiobook version, I do edit, which is a fucking bitch, I hate doing that, um, but I'm trying to put, you know, make it fucking quote-unquote professional or whatever you know and i like i I love it once it's a, like a finished product um which you know it doesn't sound sound great or anything like that but again that's all all part of the the learning curve that's uh going on here both the writing and you know the podcasting and audio booking or whatever you call it and now uh, to make it a little more entertaining the uh you know i throw in some sound effects and stuff like that that uh hopefully uh flow well with the story. You guys can give me feedback on that and uh let me know what you guys think about that also. The uh just leave you guys a heads up I wasn't sure this this uh story has two footnotes in it um which is where she uh where the flat flashbacks happen. And I wasn't sure I got the idea of four footnotes to like enhance and and give more depth and like color to to the story from Juno Diaz, uh, from, I believe it was from, well, definitely from The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, and also, if I'm not mistaken, he also had footnotes in in his uh, short story compilation Drown, Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really uh, cool tool to use, Uh, like footnotes that you know for things that you want to explain but don't necessarily like flow into flow in into the story the way you're writing it um footnotes uh could be really helpful when it comes to that so i used uh, two footnotes but now translating it into uh the audiobook was kind of uh you know i didn't know how so i just came up with for the footnote version uh for the fo- uh, footnote parts I have like these, this like little like background music, uh, kind of, and you know I say footnote number one, and before I say that like the background music starts. So for the the entire length of the footnote, you guys are gonna hear, uh, you guys are gonna hear that um, slight uh, background music behind it. Then when it ends, it goes back to like the regular story. So uh, just picture picture that that uh, background music part being, you know, when you guys get to a footnote and you go to the bottom of the page. And you read the footnote and then, you know, go back to continue the story uh, when that music ends. Um, Let me know what you guys think That's the best way I could think of to try to put that across on a short story. I'm not sure if it's done that way professionally or uh, how it's done, but uh, that's what I came up with. So let me know what you guys think about that. And uh, to let me know, you guys can reach out to me on uh, my email directly spuntoday at gmail.com you guys can go to my website spuntoday uh, spuntoday spuntoday.com I'm Fucked on my own website spuntoday.com forward slash contact and on the contact page you can fill out the uh, contact form and that shoots me over an email directly as well Uh, you guys can uh, follow me on twitter and on instagram at spuntoday oh on instagram I actually put um, a picture of part of the process of writing the story you know just trying to make sense of the timeline of it because you know like throughout the story you're like you write shit like you know oh, three months ago this happened you know six months ago that happened oh remember uh, two weeks ago when we did this or three weeks from now we're gonna do that and stuff like that so I kind of like I couldn't you know visualize it all together in my head so I like printed out all the pages and I actually got this idea from i think uh, robert green uh r- does something similar to this uh he's the guy that wrote um mastery and and the 50th law and and uh, a bunch of other books um he yeah i believe he he's the one that writes i think everything out on like three and a half uh inch index cards and has like dozens or hundreds of of them like on cork boards and on walls and stuff like that and then he organizes like all the all that like raw data into kind of like a flow and then starts writing like right from there so i kind of sort of borrowed from that idea and after i was done with the story with uh, at least the first draft of the story i put um i printed it all out all 12 pages you know have it, and then i uh, taped it up to my wall Then I I started putting sticky notes Like wherever I saw I saw, like, some reference of time Whether it was, you know, a reference to, you know I'll visit you in two weeks Or, uh, I was sentenced to eight months ago Like shit like that And then I, uh, put, you know, notes on the sticky To keep track of how much time has lapsed, like, within the story And just to make sure that everything, you know, made sense, you know Um, so that was pretty cool, too, and I uh, took a picture of that, and it's on my Instagram if you guys want to check that out for whatever reason. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool, so decided to take a picture of it, and again, that's at spun today on Instagram, and what else? Lastly, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash spun today. You guys can check that out and uh, like the fan page. And if you guys want to support the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do that. Really quickly, you can use the Amazon banner on my contact page. Again, it's spuntoday.com forward slash contact. Click on the banner at the top, the Amazon banner. Uh, It'll take you to Amazon's website where you can do your shopping like normal. And it does not cost you anything extra, but I do get a kickback and it helps support uh, me and the podcast. And that's just from Amazon's uh, cut to us or to me, uh, for driving traffic to their website. You can also support in the form of PayPal donations if you see fit. Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. And lastly, uh, any of the photography that you might like, or the pictures that I've taken. I don't know if they uh, can be classified as like quote-unquote photography because I'm no professional. But um, I enjoy taking pictures of shit. I put it up on the website, I put it up on Facebook, I put it up on, uh, where else, on Instagram. So if there's any of them that you guys might like, there is a website that I'm affiliated with called Created, C-R-A-T-E-D dot com forward slash spun today. That's my page on there. Uh, you guys can uh, check out all the uh, pictures there and actually order like posters or prints or postcards or whatever from there so you guys can check that out also and there's tons and tons and tons of other um like actual photographers and other dope uh pictures and and shit like that on that website that's just my particular page on there um but you guys should definitely check that out that's created crated.com forward slash spunt today all right guys uh that's the intro and now without further ado here is ball and chain (laughs) Ball and Chain by Tony Ortiz Written March 1st, 2015 They sat across from each other on either side of the ballistic glass. Rotary-style phone receivers in hand. He listened intently, as he usually does during these weekly visits, and she did most of the talking. Time's up, inmate, said C.O. McNeil. Wrap it up. Sarah looked over her shoulder at him with a sarcastic, acknowledging grin. Charming guy, Charles said. They pressed their hands up to the glass as they traditionally did at the end of these sittings. We'll be together soon enough, said Charles in an attempt to reassure her that their next appeal attempt would pan out, and they said their goodbyes. C.O. McNeil re Sarah to lead her back to her cell. After inside, with the steel door shut, she stuck her hands out of the opening that she receives her meals through and had those cold metal bracelets released. Aside from Charles's tri-monthly visits, a daily shower, and an hour they allowed for walking around in the prison yard, alone, this six by eight foot cell was her world, accompanied only by one book per week that she could order from the prison library, and by the reoccurring nightmares she'd have about her sentencing. Footnote number one. "'Will the defendant please rise?' said Judge Mueller. "'Mrs. DeFranco, you stand here before us seemingly remorseful. "'But your endless stream of manipulative tears "'couldn't drown the sorrow that these family members feel. "'They have lost a loved one by your hand. "'The fact of the matter is that four people lost their lives, "'while another remains in a vegetative state. "'We have reason to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt.' That you poisoned your patients with the ricin that led to their eventual deaths. You plead ignorance, but I see deliberate malpractice. You plead inexperience, but I see malicious intent. I hereby sentence you to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She'd relive this moment almost every night, expecting a more lenient outcome each time. And would wake up in a cold sweat when she didn't get it. You'd think she'd be batshit crazy by now. Shouting being irrational acting out like the other lifers in this block, but she wasn't She was actually a model inmate There was an eerie calm about her Like she was in on a joke that went over everyone else's head It's only been eight months since her sentencing But that's about seven and a half months more than other inmates take to lose their shit on his way home Charles ran a few errands as he routinely did after visiting his incarcerated wife. Although the trips back home were shorter now after the move, it still seemed like a lot to leave behind. A house, which he inherited after the brain aneurysm-induced seizure claimed his father's life three years prior, the staff accountant position at Wilton Capital, and the neighborhood he grew up in. He wasn't passionate about his work, but his job was actually enjoyable at times. Still, it was a bit much to give up for the sake of more frequent visitations, but he was in there with her. He was loyal to a fault, if there is such a thing. Selfless. Obedient, one might even say. Plus, Sarah rarely ever didn't get her way. She wanted him to reopen her bakery, but closer to her. All he needed to find was a storefront, and she would teach him all her recipes during his visits. Life revolved around her before. Why should it not now? Charles' world was now scheduled to exist outside and around every other Wednesday, and the final Friday of each month. All days in between were just fillers. His days now consisted of submitting appeal requests to reopen Sarah's case, consoling his estranged wife and carrying out her wishes to make her happy. Before this new reality, they led normal enough cookie-cutter lives. Charles was an accountant, and Sarah ran a small but thriving bakery in town. She was known for her complimentary raspberry drop sugar cookies that she would indiscriminately give away to anyone who asked, even non-paying customers. Many a day, frustrated parents came in to yank their freeloading eight-year-olds out of the bakery. The kids would sneak away to get their sugar fix when the elementary school across the street would let out for the day. Miss Sarah, Miss Sarah, can I have a cookie? They would ask excitedly. Okay, but just one more. I wouldn't want to ruin your supper," she responded while giving them a playful wink. She was loved. Even the aggravated parents would take one of these delicious bite-sized sugar cookies to go when they came to get their kids. Most of the parents, school staff, and faculty were regular customers. All birthday cakes and bunches of cupcakes to reward a class for good behavior were purchased at Miss Sarah's Bakery. Business was good and she was happy doing what she did. She was much happier than when she worked at the hospital. Charles, on the other hand, didn't hate his 9-to-5, but he didn't love it either. After work, he would clock in a couple more hours per week taking care of the financials for Sarah's Bakery. Pro bono, of course. But this, he did love. Gave him a sense of purpose. He was really good at it, too meticulous like no other. Sarah was an amazingly artsy baker, but the business wouldn't have been in the green without Charles's oversight. In about two months' time, with the savings they scraped together, the rental income from Charles's father's home, and the part-time gig as an adjunct accounting professor over at the local community college, PACC, he leased out a storefront. Her determination and his tenacity or making the dream of Sarah's Bakery 2 come to fruition. It was about a quarter of the size of the original, but meant the world to her. Her happiness was his main priority, so he shared in her elation. On that Wednesday, she gave him detailed instructions on how to set up the place, what equipment to order, paint, decoration, and just general organization. It turned out to be a cozy little bakery, a mini replica of its predecessor. In just under three weeks, He brought pictures in to press up against the bulletproof glass. She loved it. She was very pleased. Charles learned a couple of her muffin recipes, corn and blueberry, and a handful of recipes for assorted cookies that same day. After the grand opening, business wasn't what you would call booming, but it was doing rather nicely in their new, less densely populated location. Charles estimated that they should be turning a profit inside of six months. He had this strange quirk about never tasting anything he baked. But his baking wasn't half bad. Who would have thought? When you going to teach me the sugar cookie recipe? He asked. I think they'll be a hit again. In time, hon. And I know they'll be, she responded. I just don't want that to be the primary reason customers are coming in this time. We need to win them over first. And we will. They were both right. Midway through month four, Sarah's Bakery 2 was in the green. Barely covering all of its costs, but building up a loyal client base and turning a small profit nonetheless. It's time to debut our raspberry drop sugar cookies, babe. And I'm so proud of you, by the way. You're doing a great job, she told Charles. We're doing a great job, babe, he corrected her. You know this doesn't exist without you. So tell me how to make those delicious bites of bliss. You can't be upset with me, she told him. Upset? Why would it be upset? Charles asked. Because I never told you about my secret stash, she said. But I couldn't afford to let my recipes get out. I never told a soul. Okay, he said shortly, and with a surprised look on his face. Where is it? Sarah went on to explain that she locked away certain recipes, along with some rare ingredients, some spices and sugars that were imported from overseas, in a storage garage a few miles from their old home. Charles was definitely surprised and upset. This type of deception made him livid, but given the circumstances, he let it go. Following her direction, he was able to retrieve the key to the secret location from an unused old mailbox behind the shed of their old home. He went to the 24-hour access storage place a few miles away and located her lot, number 109. It looked like those little garages you see on reality shows like Storage Wars. He opened it up and went inside. It was pretty well organized. You can tell she frequented fairly often. There was a few shelves with color-coded, unlabeled bottles and jars on them. Some were filled with a sugary-like consistency, and others looked to have a flower-like texture. There was a desk and a small filing cabinet where she apparently safeguarded her recipes. He was taken aback by some of the medical supplies she had there, stethoscopes, scrubs, syringes, and boxes of latex gloves. He wrote it off as supplies she took from the hospital gig before she began to bake full-time. But how long has she been hiding this place then? It's been a long day, filled with information he was still processing. So he decided to call it a night and get some rest. He went home and to sleep. Tomorrow would be another day. Charles was upset about Sarah's secret place, but knew he could never stay mad at her. Still, On his next visit, the final Friday of the month visit, he let her know he wasn't going to make it to the next one. She knew his passive aggressiveness all too well, and without skipping a beat, she told him what he needed to hear in order to go through the motions of his little revolt a bit faster. She pouted and batted her ocean blue eyes at him, and in an innocent little girl voice asked, why baby? Because the fall semester starts in two weeks, and orientation is a bit earlier than usual. With most of my time dedicated to your bakery, our bakery, she interrupted in that same manipulative voice. He continued, I haven't been able to put a lesson plan together yet. Sarah gave him a sad face through the double pane glass, and Charles cut his eyes away in dissent. I'm so proud of you, baby, she told him. You're juggling so much. I'd be lost without you. I know you have other responsibilities and can't just focus on keeping me happy. I'll miss you terribly, but I understand. Damn, she knew how to run that game so well. I'll definitely be here for the next Wednesday visit afterwards, though," he assured her. I knew you wouldn't break my heart for too long, baby, she responded. Just remember that you're mine. These kids are lucky to borrow you. I know, hun. he responded, and you're all mine. That's right, she said, smiling back. I hate them for taking you away from me, but I do want you to make a good impression on your first day. Let's make them a batch of the sugar cookies think I'm ready for those? He asked. I know you are. My baby can do anything he sets his mind to. A little ego stroking never hurt anyone, right? Okay, I've always made two different types. They taste similar enough, but one uses more of the high-end imported ingredients and is usually for special occasions. The other is just as good, but less costly to make. Let's make your new students the special batch. She went on to meticulously explain the two different recipes, having him repeat it to her several times to make sure he knew the right combination of color-coded jars. Okay, I got it, he said frustrated. I'm sorry, she said. You know how important these cookies are to me. Yeah, I know, he responded. Lastly, my filing cabinet has some paperwork I need you to mail in to the DA for me. I told my public defendant about it but you know how they all but ignore appeal requests for cases they feel they can't win. Okay, sure. What's in it? Just some information I started to put together before my trial that I never had a chance to give to the attorney, but maybe it can help with the appeal request. There are two thick manila envelopes already sealed and ready to go. One is a copy and says copy on it, just so I could keep track of what was already submitted. So you just have to mail the one. Time's up, inmate, chimed in CO McNeil. I'm on it, hun. i I'll make you proud, promise, Charles responded, and they said their goodbyes. CO McNeil put the cuffs on and led Sarah back to her cell, as always. She stopped in front of her cell and turned to face him before walking in, making sure her straight blonde hair brushed his face as she spun around. I see the way you look at me, McNeil, she told him as she stared raptly into his eyes. What are you talking about, inmate? Go into your cell, he responded. He did check her out though. All the guards did. Visitors did too. She was easily the most attractive woman in the prison. The type of woman that would own a room just from walking into it. "'Yes, sir,' she told him. "'I'll do anything,' you say," she said salaciously as she moved half a step into his personal space. He cracked half a smile. She reached down with both hands, still in handcuffs and gently grabbed onto the now-obvious bulge in his officer blue pants. "'Ooh,' she said with a seductive rasp in her voice as she fondled him for a bit. "'You know, you could do whatever you wanted to me if it weren't for all these cameras around.' "'She licked and bit her bottom lip. "'Then she let go and took a step backwards into her cell.' Seal McNeil didn't say a word as he slid the red steel door shut. She poked her hands out through the door's opening and he removed the restraints, caressing her hands before letting go and closing the opening. On his way home, Charles passed by the storage unit to pick up what Sarah told him he needed for the cookies and also grabbed the manila envelope to mail in. The day before orientation, he followed her instructions precisely and went on to make a large batch of raspberry drop sugar cookies. They were a hit at the orientation. Most of the students in the lecture hall took one on the way in and another on the way out. He thinks they may have even distracted some of them from taking part in the usual rumors, but he still overheard a few of the students on their way out after class. (coughs) Did you hear his wife is in jail? I heard she killed kids or something. Yeah, I know, but I heard she was insanely jealous and she called him cheating with a student, and she killed her. Hmm, I think I'll flirt my way to an A then. They all giggled and laughed. You're both wrong. I looked up some old newspapers last semester in the library from around the time it happened. She was fired from being a nurse at a local hospital where they used to live. They said it was negligence or something. Then months after, they investigated and found that three or four of the patients that died under her watch were actually poisoned. Holy shit, are you serious? Yep, you can look it up too. Wow, what a sick bitch. This was actually less commotion about his wife than he was used to overhearing. So all in all, it was a good day. He grabbed his messenger bag and noticed he never mailed Sarah's evidence for the appeal. On his way off campus, he passed by the main office and tossed it in with the outgoing mail batch. In the days that followed, a few flirty looks and winks were shared between the inmate and the CO but aside from that it was business as usual at the Muncie DOC. Charles missed the next Wednesday visit as expected but was predictably already on the visitors list for the third Wednesday of the month. Soon enough it was visiting Wednesday again and Charles approached the double pane glass eagerly waiting for Sarah to walk through the double doors that separated the visiting area from the housing units. The room was filled with inmates, visitors, and measured levels of mixed emotions. She walked in and locked eyes with him instantly as she approached him with an ear-to-ear smile. He lit up like H.I.D.s, with the phone already up to his ear. She sat down and picked up the phone on her side. Hey, stranger, she said playfully. Hey, you. I've missed you, he responded. How would your orientation go, she asked. It went great, and your cookies were a hit. I did hear murmurs of the usual rumors, though, he told her. It's okay, she responded. After their visit, Seal McNeil led Sarah back to her cell as he normally did. This time, when they got to the front of her cell, he grabbed her by the waist on either side and pressed himself up behind her. She welcomed it with a flirty moan. He took in a deep breath of her essence and whispered into her ear right before he began to nibble on her neck. I disabled that camera up there. Card for it which won't be looked at until the Sunday after next. And CO Jenkins is on a 15-minute break. What was it that you were saying about me doing anything I wanted to you? Sarah turned around to face him with a mischievous smile on her face. She used both hands, which were still cuffed, to grab McNeil by the belt and pull him into the cell with her. They maximized that 15-minute window of privacy and quenched the pent-up sexual frustration they'd been flirting with for weeks. By Saturday night, there were at least half a dozen of these visits, mixed with plotting and scheming. "'Are you sure the evidence you had him submit is enough?' he asked her as he zipped up his pants and she wiped her mouth. "'I'm positive, I'm positive there's so much self-incriminating information in there that he should be arrested before next week is out, and I'll be released pending his prosecution.' That could take weeks, months even, he responded. What if I can't wait that long? Be patient, baby, she told him. We'll be together in increments longer than 15 minutes soon enough, she reassured. I have a better idea. We'll stage an attack of you on me, he explained. My carelessness, coupled with your cunningness, would make for a good escape. What about your job? You can't be on the run with me, she said. That won't be an issue. The most that will happen is a fine and or suspension. Then by the time they arrest him, they'll be so eager to sweep your escape under the rug that they'll acquit you of all charges and streamline his sentencing. I love a man that can take charge the way you do. She agreed. They settled on Friday during her yard time. He came back later that evening before his shift was over and they hammered out an outline. By Thursday night, they had every angle measured and every wrinkle of doubt ironed out. Friday morning routinely came and went. When the sun fell midway down the sky, McNeil went over to Sarah's cell to escort her outside. As he loosely placed the bracelets around her wrists without securing them in place, he tells her, remember what I told you, don't crawl back into the car until after I go back in to ring the alarm. It's very important that I follow protocol. Stay low to the ground, Then wedge yourself between the back seat and the trick trunk I told you about. Just pull down that yellow strap to open it up. They will search my vehicle, so don't make a sound or move around until I let you out. This could take hours. Sir, yes, sir, she said playfully. They walked out to the yard as they normally did. McNeil unlocked the gate that led to the employee parking lot to, quote, get a pack of smokes, unquote. From his red O2 Mustang. On cue, Sarah loosened her cuffs, wrapped it around her fist like brass knuckles, and clocked CO McNeil twice, drawing blood from the back of his head, which would later require eight stitches, while his back was turned. And she ran toward and into the three miles plus of forest opposite the parking lot which surrounded the Muncie DOC. McNeil eventually sat up and stumbled through the mess hall with blood trickling down his ear and neck, into the CO control room to sound the alarm. Inmate escape! Inmate escape! He repeated out of breath in an Oscar-worthy performance. The other COs fell in line and followed the proper protocol to begin the search. There would be failed escape attempts at Muncie on a quarterly basis. Some stressed out inmate would try to climb the fence or get boosted over a wall. But it would always end the same way. The dogs would sniff them out of the bush, and they'd spend a month in the hole. Not this time, though. By the time Warden Glenn came down to give the search order, and speak with McNeil about what happened, Sarah had safely crawled into the back of the Mustang, entering from the far side away from the camera, and wedged herself into the concealed compartment, which was scent proof. McNeil purchased the car from the PAPD repo auction. The previous owner was a, quote, Importer, exporter, unquote. After an exhaustive search that yielded no results, including the thorough search of all employee vehicles in the lot, Warden Glenn interrogated C.O. McNeil one last time, while the prison nurse finished stitching him up. The media is going to have a field day with this. How could he be so fucking careless? I was attacked, boss. I didn't even see it coming. By a woman half your damn size. That you failed to properly inspect and secure. I did inspect and secure the inmate. I have no idea what she hit me with. A rock maybe? A rock wouldn't cause a wound this narrow and deep. Nurse Kelly chimed in. Regardless, this happened on your watch. You can't be trusted to do your job properly right now. And we need to show a swift and precise response to this situation for when the media gets a hold of this. (sighs) I understand boss. McNeil responded remorsefully. You're suspended for a month without pay, effective immediately. Upon your reinstatement, you go into two weeks of inmate protocol refresher training, also without pay. Understood? Yes, sir. And again, I'm sorry. By the time he finished that sentence, Warden Glenn had already walked out of the room. After gathering a few things from his locker, he went out to his car, opened up the trunk, and placed the box in it. Got in, started it, and off he went as he normally did. After clearing the guard at the Muncie entrance, he pulled over so that he could go back and speak to Sarah. Babe, I was beginning to think you forgot about me. Sarah responded jokingly. Do you need anything? I'm sure there'll be a checkpoint further ahead and we can't risk a camera spotting you. So I can't let you out until we get to my apartment. No, I'm fine. He kissed her on the lips and closed the compartment back up. There was a checkpoint about a quarter mile after the forestry surrounding the prison. McNeil approached, slowed, and lowered his window. How's it going, Torres? McNeil, tough one today, huh? Yeah, you won't be seeing me around for a while. They finally get rid of you? Torres said jokingly. Not that easily, man. A month and a half, no pay. McNeil responded. Ouch, Torres said. Keep your head up, buddy. Shit happens. Thanks, man. Good night. They made it to the apartment unnoticed and laid low for a few days. Between their fifty shades of grayish sexcapades, they would watch television waiting on breaking news of the escape to materialize. But it never did. The Muncie DOC was under code red lockdown. That meant no one in or out. They had a skeleton staff that was housed on premises. For a few days and kept every inmate caged 24-7. They'd search for news online and nothing. Sarah also accessed Charles's emails, he used the same password for everything, and read through some of the flirty emails he had going back and forth with a student, Amy Lessig, who was in search of some one-on-one tutoring. She recognized the address Charles gave Amy from the return address on the holiday cards he had sent her in the past. Sarah, now a short-haired brunette, took the Mustang and drove over to Charles' apartment after stopping by the storage facility. She had another key stashed close by it. It was right before dawn on the fourth day after her escape and the day where her grand plan, years in the making, would finally come to fruition. Charles woke up and made his way into the kitchen to drink a glass of water from the tap. His eyes look worried as he stares out of the window above the sink, like they haven't gotten enough sleep and know they're not going to. Sarah has already made her way into the apartment at this point. She slides up behind him and he feels the precise piercing pinch of a syringe on the right side of his neck, Dexter style. About 30 minutes later, he comes to as his vision deglazes enough for him to evaluate his surroundings. His arms and legs are tie-wrapped to one of his dining room chairs, and his mouth is clichély duct-taped. Next to him, Amy is similarly secured, but still not conscious. Sarah is facing them, while sitting on top of the island in the kitchen. So who's this? The student of the month, Sarah said sarcastically you selfish son of a bitch. Is this what you've been doing while I've been suffering alone? You should be ashamed of yourself. You told me you changed. You told me Beth was the last one. Footnote number two. Beth was a co-worker of Charles back at Wilton Capital. After snooping through his credit card statements and emails, Sarah pieced together and pretty much caught him red handed He was having an affair with her. After a brief separation, Sarah wound up forgiving and consoling Charles when she found out that Beth died suddenly of liver and lung failures. What? You want to explain? Sarah hopped down off the counter, walked over to Charles, and yanked the duct tape off his mouth in one fluid motion that almost took his lips. He yelled. What the fuck did you do to her? Amy? Amy, wake up. Oh, I'm sorry. Amy can't come to the phone right now, Sarah says. What did you do, Sarah? Amy! She can't hear you, asshole. What I injected you with was a nap. What she got, well, let's just say it's a bit more permanent than that. That slutty cunt won't ever hear you again. I can't fucking believe you. You're a monster. The cops are gonna find you. I know everything. I won't keep my mouth shut, you crazy bitch. What are you even fucking doing here? How are you here right now? Said Charles. Newsflash cheating Charlie. I'm out of prison. Permanently. Besides, they didn't find out why perfectly healthy Beth suddenly had health problems, did they? She smirked maniacally as Charles gasped in disbelief. She walks around behind him and slides her hands down the front of his chest. She leans in and whispers into his ear. And your father's aneurysm. That was me too. She duct taped his mouth again as he squirmed and screamed and cried about what he had just heard. I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen here. Within the next few hours or so, you'll wake up surrounded by cops that have a warrant for your arrest based on an anonymous call from yours truly. They'll read you your rights and book you. It will soon enough come to light via the manila envelope that you mailed in for me that you are responsible for each of the deaths that I was convicted for. You did meet me at the hospital for lunches within three days of each of the deaths of my patients. Remember that? You used me to finagle connections at the hospital behind my back to get the ricin and the syringes that you use. It was a shame about poor Beth, too. She was tired of being the other woman, and she was going to expose you and your affair. There's the motive for her unexplained death. Should I continue? Did you happen to notice your class size go down for a bit after cookie day? That's because you began experimenting on students by dosing them with non-fatal portions of ricin. Oh wait, but there's nothing here in this apartment linking you to any of this, right? Oh yeah. You also gave them the location of the storage facility you've been going to fairly often, which has syringes like these. And dozens of containers with different levels of rice and doses. And the best part? Your fingerprints, and only your fingerprints, are all over the place. And little Amy here? Her death will be the cherry on top for them to build their case. As for me, it won't matter that I've slipped out of jail a bit sooner than expected. It'll all be swept under the warden's rug. Over at Muncie, Warden Glenn was on the phone with the district judge. I'm calling in a favor, Terrence. Again, the judge responded. How much leverage do you think you have with me, exactly? Enough to call this in. And trust me, the alternative would be worse for all of us. All I need is a signed arrest warrant and your word on a swift, no-jury sentencing, said the warden. Even if I was willing to cut through the red tape and expedite this, You know I can't give you an arrest warrant without PC. I'm looking at all the PC you'll ever need, in the form of a full confession letter along with corroborating evidence, which my guy is already checking out, responded Glenn. Okay, so why not go through the proper channels, the judge asked. It's better you don't know, responded the warden. I'm not sure what you think I owe you for introducing me to your buddy with the underground casino and massage joints, but it's definitely not enough to get you a blank check in the form of an arrest warrant. So tell me, what's the urgency about? Judge, there was an escape a few days ago. A successful one? The judge asked, surprised. Yes, Warden Glenn continued. Remember the nurse that killed a handful of patients last year? Her. But if this confession from the husband and evidence checks out, He's taking the rap for all of it, and more. And you buy this bullshit, the judge asked? Seems a bit convenient. Belief isn't a requisite. Belief isn't a requisite for my job, judge. If it checks out, it checks out. She'll be released, he'll be sentenced, and nobody will be the wiser. Okay, Glenn, you have a verbal arrest warrant granted. If this blows up in your face, I won't back up or document this, though said the judge. Don't worry, judge. We'll clean this up on our end. Soon you can go back to your table games and happy endings, stress-free. Oh, and Terrence? Yes? Give my best to Marie and the twins. Back at the apartment, Sarah grabbed a fistful of Charles's hair and yanked it back. They lock eyes. You did this to us. Don't you forget that, she told him as she leaned in and kissed him on the lips, over the duct tape. She squeezed a few drops from the syringe as she flicked it, and then shot it into his neck. Sleep tight, baby, she whispered. She tied Amy's wrists to the headboard in the bedroom to make it look like an intense sex scene gone awry. She made sure his fingerprints were on the ricin needle, and then she vanished. He came to as his apartment was being raided for his arrest. He tried to explain, but they saw it as resisting, and they clubbed the back of his knees, dropping him to the ground, and they cuffed him. Eight months later, Charles laid on a cot in a cell not dissimilar to the one Sarah was once in, reading The Count of Monte Cristo. A prison guard approaches. De Franco, you have a visitor, said the guard, but Charles didn't respond. De Franco. He said as he pulled out his club and banged it against the cell bars I heard you, Jimenez. I'm trying to read here, he responded. It's not a request, you smug asshole, said Jimenez. In ten minutes, you'll be escorted to the visitor's room. Charles thought it was another reporter or attorney trying to make a name for himself with a high-profile appeal case. Albeit an unwinnable one, but in the public eye nonetheless. Boy, was he wrong. As he walked into the visitor's room... On his side of the ballistic glass, the CO on duty tells him, Your visitor's hot as fuck, by the way. Oh yeah? Charles responded uninterested. Yeah, you miserable prick, the CO responded. Charles signed into the room and walked over to window number nine, where a red-headed woman with big sunglasses on sat on the opposite side. He knew who it was in the depths of his soul before his brain finished processing. As he sits down and picks up the phone, she removed her glasses, her piercing blue eyes unapologetically staring back at him. You heartless bitch. I could kill you. Charles opened up strong. Oh, Charlie. So much aggression. Haven't you done enough killing already? What would your father think if he saw you this way? Sarah responded. You're a sick, evil person. How do you have the gall to show your face. I just didn't want you to worry about me, darling. I wanted to let you know that I sold the house and I'm moving to Florida. What? My father's house? You didn't. You couldn't, Charles responded in disbelief. My house, actually. Remember how transferring the deed into my name would benefit my appeal? Well, it did, she said mockingly. I'm leaving tomorrow. Just wanted to say goodbye, Charlie. Make sure you sit and think about what you've done to me, and if any of them were worth it, said Sarah. She hung up the phone, stood up, blew him a kiss, put on her glasses, and walked out of his life forever. Charles was livid, yelling and screaming, slamming and breaking the phone against the glass. You fucking bitch! Come back here! Come back here! The guard runs over after calling it in on his walkie-talkie. Charles nails him with a right hook to the jaw, which catches the guard by surprise, but only stuns him. The guard pulls out his club and jams it into Charles' stomach, and then elbows him in the nose. Two other guards rush in and help wrestle Charles to the ground. He's still irate. It was her. She was here. It wasn't me. God damn it. Listen to me. He yelled out as he cried from passionate rage and physical pain. The nurse was called and comes in with a syringe that they used to sedate him. He wakes up in a slightly bigger room, restrained to an unfamiliar bed. The time that has lapsed between is a mystery to him. Has it been hours, weeks, months? He can't recall a thing between then and now, but he picks up where he left off. It was her. She was here. It wasn't me. Let me out. Let me out of here. A nurse turns to the doctor in charge of the psych ward for instruction. Continue to sedate him as long as these hallucinations continue. Yes, doctor, she responded. As she approached Charles to sedate him, all that was said before things went dark again was, Don't you stick me with that. I need to go to Florida. Let me out. It was her. It was really her. She needs to be stopped." Hours later on Interstate 64, a red-headed woman could be seen alone at the wheel of a red 2002 Mustang, flowing through the traffic carefree, heading towards Florida. With all that she needed in the trunk, and some of what she no longer had use for in a scent-proof compartment. <laughs> And that's it, guys. That's the episode. That's the audiobook. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely let me know what you guys think. Go to my website, uh, www.spuntoday.com forward slash contact. Reach out to me there. Uh, You guys can shoot me over an email as well. Uh, If you don't want to fill out that that contact uh, page sheet thing, just shoot me over an email. Spuntoday at gmail.com. And also you can comment on the actual short story. Uh, If you guys go to spuntoday.com forward slash short stories forward slash ball and chain, there is a comment section at the bottom and you guys can like the story. You guys can share the story, uh, do all that good stuff. And uh, let me know what you guys think. Let me know if you guys like the story and also try it. Try the exercise on your own. Like I said in the intro, this is an exercise put forth by Stephen King. Uh, in his book on writing, uh, Memoir of the Craft. And you guys, if you haven't read that book, you should. Uh, it was pretty awesome. I really enjoyed it. And uh, you guys can uh, get that on uh, Amazon, which is where I got it. And if you do so and want to support the podcast at the same time for me putting you onto that book, uh, you guys can shop on Amazon through the Amazon banner on my website. It does not cost you anything extra, but it uh, helps support the podcast uh, because Am- Amazon kicks back a few pennies on the dollar just for driving uh, traffic towards the website. The Amazon banner can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash contact on the top middle of the page. It's a, It should be a white, black, and or orange banner. It changes color every time you go on it. And what else? Uh, Oh, absolutely. Rate and review. Rate and review. Rate and review. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and or on Stitcher. If you guys don't mind, you know, that would be the best, best way that you guys could help support the podcast and help this thing going. Um, Not that it's going to stop because I really enjoy doing it regardless. But just to get a, a bit more exposure, put more people onto it and uh uh, help this uh uh, collective journey of betterment uh continue and go forth and of course follow me on twitter at spun today s-p-u-n today uh also on instagram at spun today and like the facebook fan page facebook.com for slash spun today i think the page has like three likes right now or some shit like that (laughs) which is pretty pathetic so uh, go on there hook it up like it uh tell your friends to do the same um or don't whatever uh what else also there is a youtube page for the spun today podcast where you can listen to this and all other episodes uh it's on my website is the best way to find it because it's one of those uh urls that are like really jumbled up and a bunch of letters and numbers and stuff like that. Uh I can't make it uh youtube.com for slash spun today just yet. Uh but we'll get there eventually uh, as this uh thing uh begins to uh gain in popularity. Excuse me. So uh check that out on my website. If you go on my website at the bottom, there's like at the footnote portion of the website, you can click on the on the YouTube like play button icon uh thing. And it'll take you to my YouTube page. Also, I've tweeted tweeted it in the past. And I'll continue to uh, sporadically so you guys can uh, find the YouTube page on my Twitter feed as well. Lastly, but not leastly, I want to give a very, very special shout-out to my brother David, whose birthday is today on the day this podcast comes out, March 12th. I hope you enjoy your day, bro. Thank you very, very much for always being my number one supporter by far. I love you. Enjoy your day. As always, guys, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening.